This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 12. This is Writing Excuses, Q&A on heroes, villains, and side characters. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Valen. I'm Dan. And I've got questions. And well, hopefully you have answers. Got questions. <laughs> I have questions. Thank you all who sent in questions. I'm just going to start throwing them at people. And we're going to start with Howard's favorite on the list. How do you make planned power increases not look like an ass pull? <laughs> I read that one and <laughs> and had not, I had never heard that particular phrase Nound. Nound. See, the before. backstory you guys don't know is that right before recording this, we told Valin she had to not swear. Mm. So, <laughs> and I've been, I've been very good. Oh, that's okay. Can you um, answer the question? So the question, <laughs> of the question then, uh, how do you make what was the word powers? Yeah, how can you planned power increases? Planned power increases. How do you make? How do you make? You know, the increase in abilities of your protagonists mm-hmm. look like something that is organic to the story. Rather than looking like something that, rather than looking like a deus ex machina, rather than looking like something that knocks the reader out of the story because they don't feel like it fits. Just arbitrarily Um, leveled up. Yeah. Honestly, the, the key to this is whatever that power is, whatever that ability is, um, uh, the fact that it was going to manifest had to have some sort of harbingers. There had to be something connected to that that was already in place. Um, you know, he's going to develop the power of magical body odor. For the week prior to that, people are asking, what is that smell? What is that? Have you bathed? What's uh, what's going And then all of a sudden it manifests and we feel like, <laughs> oh, yes, this is a thing. By the way, the body odor superpower is in point of fact an ass pull. Um, well, and I think the point of that is just thinking about what the natural consequences would be for something mm-hmm. should it manifest. Yeah. Power has a cost. That cost can come beforehand by earning it or foreshadowing it or later on. Thank you to Rohan, by the way, who sent that question and gave us <laughs> new, uh, a new word to use. Uh, we, Melanie and Tiffany both ask variations on the same question, which is what do you do if you're Side characters or your villains start to outshine your main character. This is the classic, what we call the villain problem. Mm -hmm. Often what is going on when this happens is that your villain has a plan of action and all your hero is doing is reacting to it. And that can make your heroes look very pale and weak in comparison. So give your hero either something interesting to pull them through the first half or really make a concerted effort in the second half of your story for the hero to take the lead and start acting and and kind of taking the fight to the villain. Valen, have you ever had this happen? Because they've heard from us on this topic. Have you ever had a side character or a villain outshine your main character? I think that anytime I've had that, I get more interested. It's because I am more interested in what's going on with the side character. Mm-hmm. And so not only is it pulling my focus from what the storyline should be. I think sometimes it may just be that's a different story. And so I have to refocus and take a look at my main character and figure out what am I not doing 
that my side character is doing. And because that's usually the answer to why the side character is taking over. And sometimes it's that the side character is just a lot more humorous. And that doesn't necessarily mean I need to add humor to my main character, but figure out why humor is, what is that humor, what is it accomplishing that my main character Whatever for whatever characteristics, you know, um, what characteristics in my main character can I amplify to bring bring that out? Yeah, you know, for the reader, this sort of problem, and we can tell when we like the villains and the side characters more than the protagonist. For the writer, the first symptom, the 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 first twigging you get to this being a problem is when you are enjoying writing the villain and the side character more, and. If that has happened, pay very, very close attention to what is going on. So Noah asks a kind of related question. How do you know when a character, main or side, is unnecessary and needs to be removed or killed off? I really think that you have to look at your storyline and make sure that that character is contributing to something important. And sometimes it's not always as apparent as we need it as we expect it to be. Sometimes it is that that character is the breath of relief because there's humor in that character. Uh, Sometimes there is some knowledge that that character adds, but we just need to make, if you took that character out, would the storyline be the same? And I think in any event, if you could take that character out, you probably, and without changing much of the story, you probably should. Yeah, I, I'm going right now on my Patreon. I'm kind of serializing annotations on one of the early, early books that I did in a writing group with Brandon. And there was one character who was pointless and so clearly pointless in one of these chapters. And then in the next chapter, got into a huge fight. And it was so obvious, like it was just glaringly obvious that the writing group had said, this character's dumb, give give him a reason to exist. And I'm like, well, I'll make him the fighter. Um, and in hindsight, I wish I'd just cut him out of the book because he didn't need to be there. And, and the fight was extraneous because it was, it was a disaster. All right. Um, Ossoff asks, what are some tricks to disguise a viewpoint character as a hero when they are really a villain? I thought that was a very intriguing question. Hmm. Well, if we tell you the tricks, then <laughs> you'll know when we're doing it. That's the subtitle <laughs> of writing excuses <laughs> the entire podcast. Um, I don't know if that is the right way to think about this. Um, at least it's not the way I think about this. I, I, if I have someone who is going to start as a hero and become a villain, then I think to myself, is that because they, this is going to be a fall or is this a deception? And if it's a deception, I mean, either way, really, just write them as if they were a main character. I don't think that you need to put in any clues necessarily uh, that say, this person, keep an eye on them, they're actually bad, unless discovering that mystery is part of your story. You can just go ahead and write them as if they were a main character and then have them do something awful at some point. This is a, this is a good job also for alpha readers. You know, if the alpha reader says, wow, that came out of left field, I was totally not expecting that. Um, Well, how did you feel about not expecting that? Oh, it was fun. Great. 
You did it just right. <laughs> oh, it was knocked me right out of the story. Okay, maybe I need to put in some clues. Mm-hmm. Here's a quick and fun one from Veronica. What is more fun for you, creating a hero or a villain, and why? Oh, villain. Villains are... I love villains. And I love them mostly because I like to make them sympathetic. I like people to understand their motivations and think in that scenario, I might do the same thing, even though it's horribly wrong. Or I just love, I love villains personally. (laughs) (laughs) I, I actually would say for me, it's a hero. I have so much more fun writing them because we get to know them better which means I can add so much more texture to them as characters. If I'm going to spend that much time introducing you to someone, I'm going to consider them a main character, whether that is hero or villain. Spaceships. Spaceships. (laughs) Option C. None of the above. All right, let's stop for our book of the week, which is The Woman Who Smashed Codes. The Woman Who Smashed Codes is the book I am reading right now. So full disclosure, I have not finished it. If if the second half is terrible, I apologize. But the first half is amazing. It is a nonfiction story, nonfiction history book uh, about the woman who helped create the NSA. Um, She and her husband um, were kind of like the American version of Alan Turing. In the First and Second World Wars, they cracked all of the codes, they worked against Enigma, they hunted down mafia, and all kinds of things. It's an incredibly interesting story, but history has mostly erased her. And we all remember, or I guess those who know, uh, William Friedman, who created the NSA and, and you know has a big bust of himself. His wife was, according to most historical documents, as or even more important, but it's kind of been forgotten. And this story of of her and what she did and how she helped turn America into this uh, kind of intelligence-gathering nation, which it never had been before, is fascinating. It's uh, by Jason Fagone, um, is how I'm assuming that name is pronounced, and it's called The Woman Who Smashed Codes. Excellent. Next question, Owen asks, how many side characters can you reasonably juggle within a single novel? How many pages do you have? How <laughs> yeah. many? What's your word Is count? this a Dan what's Wells your... novel or a Brandon Sanderson novel? I think it depends on how talented you are. If you look at Harry Potter, every single one of her side characters you remember. And if, I'm, if I am the one writing it, I probably can't juggle that many at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Rowling, Harry Potter is a great example to pull out because she's so good at this. And sometimes those side characters, the only thing interesting about Seamus Flanagan is that his potions always explode in his face. But we remember him and we remember the potions exploding in his face. And then she finds a way in book seven to make that important. Uh, And so it doesn't often take much. And I will make the point of this is something that I got better through my career. Uh, the original reason that The Way of Kings, which I wrote in 2002 and workshop with my writing group, the reason it failed is because I tried to put in too many characters and couldn't juggle them all at my skill level at that point. And when I pulled back, we've made this point before in our excuses. When I pulled back and did a more focused story, the story was way better. It's not that, you know, you are... Large casts are not inherently better than small casts. We want a good story no matter what it is. And sometimes the right thing to do is to force and stretch yourself. Sometimes the right thing to do is say, well, what's the story that I can really tell right now? 
and do a good job with. And mm-hmm. the skill set is it's the compression skill set. How much how much work can you make that paragraph do? Uh, you know, how how much information, how much storytelling, you know, we talk about how a, a scene has to have more than one job. If you've got lots of side characters you're going to introduce, your skill with the prose has to be sufficient to carry all of those people through that scene believably. And that, it, you just, you got to learn how to make the words. It takes time. Jake asks, what are the potential benefits and drawbacks of making your villain a POV character? In my experience, it is very hard to retain mystery if we can see inside the villain's head. And so if the villain's plans need to remain mysterious in some way, or if we, we, we're part of the joy of the book is figuring out what's going on, I, which is how almost all of my books are structured, then you can't get into the villain's head. So that's why I rarely ever do it. I think that if you are going to do that and you're in the villain's head, I think that the mystery then therefore needs to be, how is this character going to get out of it? Because you already know what's going to happen if they're the villain, but you, but then you you need to be more focused on how are they going to carry this out, and are they going to get away with it or are they not? the The consequences of their actions become the mystery. Excellent. All right. Um, Corey asks: When your villain slash antagonist doesn't show up until late in the plot, how do you build them up early on despite their non presence? And I might add to that, if you're not choosing to do viewpoints from the villain, how do you make sure they have a presence in the plot? It's the Schlock Mercenary book I'm working on <laughs> right now does exactly that. And, uh, and I accomplished it by putting things that they have done in the opening scenes. Um, and we might think that someone else has done them, um, but... When we get our reveals, it becomes apparent that, oh, there's a bad guy here who is not the bad guy we thought was the baddest guy. And I think that there need to be things that uh, just, as you said, there there need to be some little signs of what is going on that are something that is creating tension so that when we find out the source of that tension, they all lead up to that person. All right. We're going to end here. Um... Liliana asks a question that several others have asked under different phrasings. Um, I like hers the best. It says, one of my protagonists is, well, a bit of a jerk. She's arrogant and insults some of the other characters. I don't want my readers to hate a protagonist, though. How can I make create ways for them to like her? One of the books that I wrote last year uh, is a YA horror in which I did that. I, I wanted the main character to be a jerk. Um, she's a teenage girl. She... Uh, just kind of, and I do this increasingly as my daughter gets older, but uh, I made sure to give her other things. I made sure, first of all, that we understood, and this is something Valin's talked about a lot, that we understood why she was a jerk. Why does she chafe so hard against everyone else in the story? But then on top of that, give her other things that we do like about her so that we can kind of say, well, yes, she's not nice, but she does this, and I really like that. All right, just a few things to mention. Uh, Jeb asks tips for making a good ensemble of characters. We did an entire month on ensemble stories uh, two years back, mm-hmm. so go look that one up. 
Uh, how do you decide to play character, character archetypes? Victor asks. We will be doing um, several podcasts this year on archetype and cliche, so watch for that. And there are a couple questions about making characters too good, too good at everything, or things like this. We have a podcast coming up about what we call iconic heroes. I think that's a term we got from J- Zub. Jim Zub. Yeah. Um, we'll do an entire podcast on that. So some of these questions we will answer. Some we have just answered. Those who are asking about anti-heroes, uh, listen to last month's episode. These were great questions. Thank you guys so much. Valin, I asked you to prepare a writing prompt for us. So my writing prompt is going to be write about a female gamer who is trying to write social injustices with her gaming skills. That is awesome. And this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.